Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. part of this, but we've been in for the last several weeks uh, a series that we've been uh, preaching on and teaching on called The Season of the Rapture, and uh, really what that looks like and uh, just maybe where we're at in the timeline of that as a generation, um, and uh, I just believe that uh, it's always important that we, we bring um, uh, the, the, uh, the rapture of the church up in a teaching at least once a year, um, but this is something that we should keep in front of us all the time, amen? Especially nowadays, I think that we're closer than ever, and I'm not gonna get into it because I haven't done a ton of research on it, but I did uh, read some articles today and and yesterday, um, and and I watched a couple of things, but um, there's some very, very interesting things happening in the world um, right now that are not just kinda sorta lining up with end-time biblical prophecy, but exactly lining up to biblical prophecy. There is a summit that is planned uh, to be in New York uh, this month, and in that summit, they are addressing worldwide concerns. They're addressing uh, the need for worldwide or for a one-world currency. They're addressing um, all these things, and the thing that I think is interesting about that, and we're gonna, we're gonna read a scripture about this tonight, but one of the things that I think is interesting about um, their, um, I guess, their, their theme for this year's summit is, is uh, the theme kind of that continues to go on. They're doing all this in the name of worldwide peace and safety. What's interesting about that is in the Bible, it says that they will begin to cry out for peace and safety, meaning the, the, the Antichrist and, and the people that are involved in that. And the other thing that I find very, very interesting about this summit is that all the things that they're wanting to, to, to get done, which includes so many things that, that the Bible says are gonna happen in the tribulation and before the tribulation, all of these things that they want to get done, their agenda is that they want to, and they say it over and over, so this is not somebody read something about it and then they interpreted it this way. This is actually their literature, what they're saying about this. They want all of these policies in place in the entire world in the next seven years by 2030. That's kind of interesting. Seven years, seven years sounds familiar, doesn't it? And, uh, and so I think it's very interesting that a lot of the things that they're, they're, they're interested in, they're talking about, are all the things that are, that are in our Bible that talks about, it's almost as if, and I know they probably don't, but it's almost as if they've never read their Bible. And they're putting all these things in place and you're going, you are falling right in line. But I was talking to someone today and I said, but what do we expect? The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees knew the Bible better than anybody in the days of Jesus and yet they still fulfilled biblical prophecy to hang Jesus on the cross, right? And so anyway, we, we've been talking about that and, and I'm not teaching this uh, to put fear into us, but I believe that if we'll, if we'll teach this in the right way, that it'll put hope into us about the reality uh, of the day that God will remove his church from the earth just before the great tribulation that results in the destruction of Satan, the destruction of his demons, and anyone who continued to reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I say continue to reject Jesus because every human was never meant to be in the way of God's wrath in this day and age. And that's why God provided Jesus so that every person had an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ so that they could get out of the way of this destruction because it was never meant for me and you. It was never meant for, for humanity. It was always meant for Satan and the demons. And so um, I, I, the more I study and teach this, um, the more really excited I get to serve God, amen? Uh, because I think when, when, you don't, when you don't keep the end game ahead of you, uh, we kind of get lost in this world. And that's really kind of what I'm going to talk about tonight. First Thessalonians, let's start there. First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, the 13th through the 18th verse. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 
says Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. So Paul was saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you some things because I don't want you to be ignorant about it. Now, a lot of times we use the word ignorant to um, belittle somebody. Paul wasn't belittling them. Ignorant means you don't know. And so if you don't know, you don't know how to adjust. Amen? And anybody ever, when you're growing up, you got in trouble by your dad and you just didn't know why? Right? He didn't explain things to you. You were totally ignorant. And it's kind of hard to get on to somebody for being ignorant when you didn't tell them about it. Ask Jackson. It happened to him all the time. But Paul's sitting there going, hey, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant. Because he's, he's talking to the church because he says, brethren, it's a letter written to the church. And so if he's, if he's writing it to the church at Thessalonica and he's, and he's talking to the brethren there, then he's talking to me and you and he says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant. What, do we, what does he not want us to be ignorant of? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, where do y'all hear this scripture brought out the most? At a funeral, right? And, and, and it is a scripture that you should bring out because at the end, it's gonna say that use this to comfort one another. But at the same time, if we're going to believe this about someone who passes away and we're sorrowful that someone that we love passed away, uh, maybe before their time or, you know, I mean, it's never really a, a good time for somebody to pass away in our life, right? It doesn't matter how old they get, you're never ready for them to go. But right here he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So he's saying for the, for the brethren, for the church, there is a different hope for us and we don't have to sorrow like they sorrow. It doesn't mean that you won't be, that you won't be sad and that you won't grieve. I think the Lord uh, uh, wants us to have a healthy grieving process when those things happen. But he says we shouldn't grieve like those who have no hope. Those who have no hope means that they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if when you close your eyes for the last time, if you just don't exist uh, they don't know if when you close your eyes for the last time that there's a hell or, or if there's a, you know, that, that uh, you know, all the different religions and all the different things that they believe, they're, they're, they're people who really have no hope because they have no security. They just have their thoughts about what might happen. And what Paul is saying is, we're not of those who are ignorant that we don't know what's going to happen. We understand fully. You need to understand fully that what is going to happen in this next life. Because verse 14, it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Meaning those who died uh, um, you know, while, they, while they were believers. Verse 15, it says, for this we say... To you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Meaning we're not going to go before them. They're going to go before us. Really, God's going to get them first. But we're going to, that, that uh, if we're still alive until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then the last verse there says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So I'm talking about hope tonight. I'm talking about not having a hope versus having a hope. Or we could say it like this, having our hope in a different place than where it needs to be. But if we're going to be triumphant in these last days of the church age, we have to make sure that our hope is pointed in the right direction. Amen? We have to make sure that our hope is pointed in the right direction. So Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happens when we die. And I don't want you to be ignorant about what's going to happen if the Lord comes back before we die. That we're not of those who have no hope. We're not going to sorrow. We're not going to grieve. We're not going to fear like those who have no hope. And I was thinking about this, and I think one of the most overlooked deceptions. Now, stick with me because this is a point that's going to help the rest of the message. And I think if you will really think about it, 
you would agree, but I think one of the most overlooked deceptions of the last 100 years has been the enemy attacking not just the world, but the church with misdirected hope. The world has always had misdirected hope. But I think in the last 100 years, one of the most overlooked deceptions, meaning it's flown under the radar, is that God's church, the people of, of God, have been deceived and they have, they have been fed misdirected hope. And I'll explain that. I think that the church has put their hope and been, their hope's been misdirected in the form of politics, in the form of policies, in the form of government and worldly success and the comforts of this world. What do I mean by that? I mean that if we put our hope in those things, that our hope becomes misdirected. And, and, and let, me, let me further explain that. Because even us in the church has gotten our hope misdirected and put, in our, put our hope in politics and policies and programs and all these different things. You say, you're saying we don't need a government? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying my hope's not in it. Amen? I don't care who's in there. My hope is not in it. What do you mean by that? You, you mean that, that, that you're skeptic of, of, of every, everything that has to do with government? Absolutely, because humans are involved. Humans are involved. And where there are humans involved, and not just humans, but power and money involved, there is always going to be something that is not hopeful. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm not hopeful that God can do something through government, that God can do something through policy, that God can do something through all these different areas, but my hope is not in that government. My hope is not in that policy. My hope is not in that person. My hope is not in any of those things. But I believe that because we've done this, it has caused us as a whole, maybe not, in, not, not every person, but just hear me out. I think it's caused us as a whole, and I'm talking about the church, not just America, not just people, but as the church, to put our hope in things and people that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and its mission. Can I say that again? I believe that it has caused us, because we put our hope in these things, it's caused us as a whole to put our hope in things and people that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and its mission. Nothing to do with it. We've put our hope in this idea, please do not shoot me down. And I think the, the fact that, that I'm a little bit, um, and I use this word lightly because I'm not really scared, but I'm a little hesitant to say what I'm about to say proves my point. Because I think if you get angry at this next statement, you just prove my point. And here's my next statement. We have put our hope in this idea of the American dream to the point that we don't have time for the mission of heaven. Good night, folks. I'll see you next week. <laughs> I want you to think about it for a minute. I'm not dissing America. I know God's used America greatly. And I'm proud to be an American. I don't even have to sing the song. But as a Christian and as a pastor, I think that we've put our hope in this idea of the American dream to the point that we don't have time for the mission of heaven because we're too busy trying to produce the American dream and not the mission of heaven. Is this fair enough? When something, and this is how I think you can see it, because when something threatens to disrupt the American dream being produced in our life, we can be easily, this is a little bit deep teaching tonight, but this is what I do on Wednesday night. But when something threatens to disrupt the American dream coming to pass in our life, it causes us to be easily manipulated into doing whatever it takes to ensure that the American dream happens for me and my family. I want you to think about that. The American dream happening in my family could cause me to pick up and move somewhere for 50 cents extra an hour 
and leave the place that God really wants me to be in. It could do that. Why? Because the American dream is talking louder to you than the mission of heaven. But when the mission of heaven is talking louder to you than the American dream, it's all in the scripture because Jesus says, if you'll seek me first and the kingdom of God first and, the, and, and my righteousness, I will cause all those things to follow after you. But when, when it begins to speak to us louder, I'm not speaking against things. I'm not speaking against success. All throughout the Bible, there were was, there was so many successful men of God. But what I am talking about today and I want to bring to our attention as believers is that we can never get our hope in something other than the hope of heaven. If we do, it'll cause us to vote a certain way. It'll cause us to protest a certain way. It'll cause us to plan a certain way, follow certain people in certain organizations. It'll cause us to adopt certain ideals that may not even be biblical, but we'll manage them and we'll merge them into our personal doctrine to justify it as being a God-fearing belief. I have seen that in the last 20 years, probably more than anything. You say, well, you're only 40-something years old. Yeah, I've been, I've been in the ministry for 23 years, and I've been able to watch this steady decline of, of Christians being hijacked by the American political system to begin to believe things and to begin to push things that are not even biblical as if they're biblical. Man, that's my second closing night. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> Stay with me. Don't get too mad at me. I really believe that all this is connected to misaligned hope. Let me put it simply. If your hope is in the wrong kingdom, your life will align with that kingdom. If your hope is in the wrong kingdom, your life will begin to align. It doesn't matter how much I say, do you believe this about the Bible? Do you believe this about Jesus? Do you believe this about heaven? Do you believe this about God? Yes, 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 yes. But if you are aligned to the wrong kingdom, meaning your hope is in, you might say you believe these things, but your hope is really in these other things. If your hope is in the wrong kingdom, your life will align with that kingdom and you'll desire what that kingdom desires. And you'll believe what that kingdom believes. And you'll speak what that kingdom speaks and you'll defend what that kingdom defends and you'll worship what that kingdom worships and you will dread what that kingdom dreads. You know what the kingdom of, of this world dreads? The kingdom of this world dreads it coming to an end. If you find yourself dreading that this will come to an end and not dreading, this is what the kingdom of heaven dreads. The kingdom of heaven dreads that when this earth comes to an end, that there are multitudes of people that get lost in the end of this world. That's what the kingdom of heaven dreads. But if you dread more the kingdoms and the principles and the, and the constructs of this world ending than you do people's lives ending with it, you've aligned your hope to the world and not to the mission of heaven. Amen? Jesus said in John 17 that just like he is not in the world, I'm paraphrasing this, but just, he says, just like I am not in the world, that my disciples, they're not of this world. They're in it, but they're not of it. And we've shortened that and we've said, I'm, I'm in the world, not of the world. But Jesus actually said, just like I am not of this world, my disciples are not of this world. So you have to begin to see yourself as in this world, but you're not of this world. We have to learn again how to be in the world, but not of it. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're gonna take a little, we're gonna branch off of this message of hope because we've got to segue into talking about the will of God because if our hopes are going to be aligned with the kingdom of heaven then that means that we've got to be aligned with the will of heaven amen 
And right here it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we've heard that a lot. But the second part of that is the reason why you're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed is because you need to be able to prove what is good, what is acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. I don't want to make any mistake about it tonight. You're here on the earth. I don't want anybody to mis misinterpret what I'm saying. You are here on the earth to do the will of God. You're here on the earth to fulfill the will of the kingdom of God. That's what you're here to do. Now, how God chooses to do that with you, that's between you and him. But you are here to do that. And I know this message is gonna have some tough sayings in it because I was in the back getting kind of beat up by the word when I was studying it. But it's all good because it realigned my hope and said, you know, that's right. And in these last days, I can't be about nothing but the kingdom. Does that mean I'm gonna ne neglect my children? Absolutely not. That's part of the will of God in the kingdom. Is that means I'm, I'm gonna neglect my responsibilities and that means I'm gonna you know, go off and do this, that, and the other and I'm gonna make all these big drastic changes? No, I, I, the, the biggest drastic change that I'm gonna make is I'm gonna put my ear closer to heaven and I'm gonna be quicker to obey. Amen? You can't attempt to do the will of God. I'm sorry, let me say that again. You can't attempt to do the will of the world and God's will on the side. I think that's where we're at a lot of times. I think we want to do the American dream and then we want to do God's will on the side. And we can't do that. In Matthew 12, when Jesus cast out demons from a demon-possessed, now this was a demon-possessed, blind and mute guy. I mean, it's bad enough if you're blind and mute. This guy was demon-possessed and blind and mute. So he cast out the demons from him. And healed him. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out the devil with the power of the devil. Go back and read it. It was in uh, Matthew 12. They said, he cast out Beelzebub by the power of Beelzebub. He cast out these demons by the power of Beelzebub. And this is what Jesus said. And this will go into what I'm talking about not doing, you can't be in basically two kingdoms at once. Jesus replied in, in, in verse 25 of Matthew 12. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. What Jesus was saying is, there's absolutely no way for me to serve the devil and God. There's absolutely no way for me to cast out these demons by the power of God and serve and be of the, of the kingdom of Satan. There's absolutely no way for me to do this. And so bringing this back into here, there's really absolutely, even if we've, even if we've tricked ourselves into believing that we have this hybrid life where we do what we want to do, but then we do Jesus things on the side, we really are tricking ourselves because in the end, a house divided against itself can't stand. Jesus said it's, we'll just read his words. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. I just kind of put this in layman's terms. If you serve the world, you won't make it. We know that. We understand that. That's been preached all the time. But I want to add something to it. If you serve the world, you won't make it. If you serve the world a little and the kingdom of God a little, you still won't make it. Come on. We understand if, that if we serve the world, we won't make it. But I think we get caught in this, I'll, I'll serve God, but I'm still gonna serve myself, I'm still gonna serve the ideas and the, and the things that I want. And, and Jesus is saying that it's not gonna work because you're divided. You got, you're trying to use half of your heart for, for one thing that's not his will and the other half of your heart for his will and it's not gonna work because you're, you're divided. He intends for you to forsake all others 
and serve only his kingdom, only his will, only his purpose for your life. So I don't know if Jesus is that concerned about that. Well, Matthew 7, 21, if you want to go there. And I have said this for many years. And every time I read this series of scriptures, I sit there and I read it over 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 again. And you know why I'm reading it over? It's not because I don't understand it. But I'm waiting for God to give me an explanation how it can't be as true as what I think it is. I'm waiting for God to give me a loophole that I can preach where it won't make it feel so harsh. He is yet to do that because I think that he really means it. Matthew 7, 21, one of the scariest series of scriptures in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I mean, I think you could probably read that in the Greek and the Hebrew and everything, and I think it would still say not everyone. That says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. If your hope is in the systems of this world, your life will revolve around building a life that is in the wrong kingdom. A kingdom that is doomed for failure and will not be found standing at the end of the age. It will not be found standing. Jesus goes on in the next verse, in verse 22, he says, many will say to me on that day, I think that's judgment day. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We're not talking about the people who are on the back streets denying Jesus and doing all kinds of unfathomable things. Jesus is talking about people who have said Lord and who have done things in his name. Because I said, Didn't, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? This scripture right here proves that you can do the work of God and God will allow you to do it because he cares about people's freedom that much and you still not make it. Paul said it. Paul said I do what I do because I don't want to be found in the last days having preached to you and me myself be disqualified. I told you this was a scary set of scriptures and I'm waiting on the Lord to show me something different about it. But until then, it says, do we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, what's lawlessness? I think we could, we could say it really simply. Lawlessness is when you know what to do, but you say, ah, oh, that don't apply to me. Hmm. It's getting deep. I'm going to try my best to preach us out of this hole tonight. But we got to dig it a little deeper first. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this is not being imperfect. We're going to make mistakes. That's what the grace of God's for. But I think it's for some, I think it's what he's talking about here is people whose heart is not pointed towards the kingdom of God. It's only for self, for yourself to be seen, for yourself to be known, for yourself to be successful. And these people are even using the kingdom of God to do that. But Jesus himself said, I don't don't even know who you are. Now, if your best friend showed up on your doorstep tonight, knocked on the door, and you opened it up and said, I don't even know who you are. Shut it in their face. 
You'd be a terrible friend, wouldn't you? I don't think Jesus is a terrible friend. So I think the very fact that Jesus says, I don't even know who you are. You think Jesus don't know who that person is? Jesus knows who everybody is. But what he's saying is, you're not my friend. You are not a part of what we were doing here. You were only a part of yourself. You only wanted for yourself. So we never made friends, no matter how much you did things in my name. You used my name to be something. I know a lot of preachers that are going to be in sad shape. A lot of ministers that are going to be in sad shape because they only do this for notoriety. I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So you tonight, you've heard, you've heard what I've said. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, watch what Jesus said. He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I'm going to use that as saying there, there is, there's one kingdom that's built on a rock. I don't think that's a far stretch. He said, I'm going to liken you as to building the kingdom in your life on a rock. You're building your life on a rock or on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. So when our life is not built, and we've heard that, that sermon a, a thousand times, but bringing it into conjunction with what your hope is in, if it's not in the right kingdom, then you're not going to be doing the will of the kingdom of God. And if you're not doing the will of the kingdom of God, then you can do a lot of things in the name of Jesus, but if it's not according to the will of God, your house is not being built, your kingdom is not being built on the rock of, uh, uh, of the kingdom of heaven, it's being built on the sand of the kingdom of this world who is coming to nothing. And when the storms come, because the storm is coming, the storm is the, is the seven-year tribulation period, that storm is coming. When it comes and it begins to blow and it begins to beat against this earth, if your kingdom has been built on the principles and the hope of what you can get and what you can maintain on the earth, it will come to nothing. Here's the second verse of that song. God's not going to make you do his will. I wish he would. Yeah, I don't really wish he would, but it would make it easier, right? But he's not going to make you do his will. And you're not going to accidentally fall into the will of God. It ain't going to happen accidentally. It's a purposeful Doing the will of God is a purposeful laying down of your life and picking up the cross. And I believe that that, and we're gonna read that scripture here in a minute, that, that, that scripture about picking up your cross, I believe that it's a symbol of the will of God because the cross was the will of God for Jesus. And if Jesus had not gone to the cross fulfilling the will of God for his life, we wouldn't even have the option to serve God. Let's go to Luke 24. I mean, I'm sorry, 22. Luke 22, 41 through 42. I want to show you this. This is Jesus, the Son of God. One of the members of the Trinity who is God. Let's listen to what he has to say. Because for one, God is not going to make you do his will. And two, he is, it's not going to happen accidentally. And this is Jesus struggling with that. I don't, I don't think we ever see this. I know we've read this scripture, but Jesus wasn't playing around like he was struggling with it. He was legitimately struggling with doing what God wanted him to do, what the Godhead wanted him to do. You say, how could God struggle with what God wanted to do? I have no idea. But it's, it's written, 
And it says in Luke 22, 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, meaning his disciples. Remember, he asked them to pray and they kept falling asleep. And he knelt down and prayed, 42, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Meaning what he was about to have to do, going to the cross. He said, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then if we jump back to Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 24 through 25, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, if anyone desires to come after me. So he encompassed anyone, but it wasn't in a crowd mentality. It wasn't if any one church wants to come after me. If it wasn't if any one family wants to come after me. I believe this is very, very personal. And I believe that this is, this is uh, something that, that, that your wife can't, that's the decision your wife can't make for you. It's a decision your husband can't make for you. It's a decision that your mom and dad and your grandparents can't make for you. It's a decision that your pastor can't make for you. I wish I couldn't make it for you, but I can't make it for you. It's, I gotta make it for me. And just because you see it, see me making that decision for me doesn't mean that it's made for you. I've made the decision a long time ago that I'm going to follow after God. But I couldn't make that decision for my wife. She had to make that same decision for herself. She had to have that relationship where God knows her, where Jesus knows her. My son's no different. My daughter's no different. You're no different. This is where the rubber meets the road, as we say, that, that you've got to make that decision. And right here, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, you can't watch people go after God and just vicariously live through them. It might work in Little League for dads to live vicariously through their four-year-old and play baseball again, but it don't work in the kingdom. It don't matter what's going on at home with your husband. It don't matter what's going on at home with your wife, with your kids. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much money you don't have. It doesn't matter what your house looks like or what it don't look like. It doesn't matter what your job is or what your job isn't. You've got to take all that and scrape it aside and say, do I want to go after Jesus? Because right here he says, if anyone desires to come after me, here are the prerequisites if you want to come after Jesus. Number one, he says, let him deny himself. That don't take any money. That don't take any status in town. That doesn't take any other person. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, number two, and take up his cross. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus wants you to go to a physical cross and die like he did? Absolutely not. That would be silly. He died for you so that you wouldn't have to die that way. He took your place. But what, it's, what he's saying right there is it was the will of God. I had to deny myself. You, we just read it when he's in the garden. He had to deny himself. He had to say, Father, if, if, if it's your will to let this cup pass for me, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm open to those, those decisions. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then he went and he was ridiculed and he was beaten and he took his cross and he walked his cross all the way until he couldn't walk it no more and then somebody else carried it for him and then he was stuck on a cross and he bled and he died and he went down to hell in the grave and he took the keys to hell in the grave. He was resurrected on the third day and then he commissioned his disciples and then he went to heaven where he's forever seated until he's going to appear, and I think not too many days from now, where he's going to say, come up to me, all you who believed in me. That was the will of God for his life. And if you're going to go after Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up the will of God for your life. And I'm not questioning whether or not you're already doing that. But I think you should. I'm not judging whether or not you're already doing that, but I think you should. And I'm not trying to be arrogant or, or toot my own horn, but I judge myself all the time. 
You know why? I'm not afraid of you judging me. But when I get to that day that he talks about, in that day, I don't want him saying, I don't know who you are. That's why I judge myself. God, if I am doing something wrong, it's out of ignorance, I promise. Help me. Because I want to be found in the will of God no matter what that is. And if the Lord told me right now, I don't want you to be a pastor anymore. I want you to go do this, but I still want you preaching, and that'll open up the doors for this, that, and the other. I wouldn't like it. Because I love doing what I do, and I don't think he's going to do that. But I would do it if that's what he wanted me to do. Amen? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The cross you have to pick up is the will of God for your life. There's no room in your hands for the will of God and your will at the same time. There's no room. When I was in Bible school, I may have told this story. Uh, we, went, <laughs> we went to New Orleans, and um, during Mardi Gras, they wanted us to do outreaches three days during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I really think they just did that to have a little laugh and watch us minister to drunk people. But anyway, they asked if anybody knew how to build things, and most everybody in the, in the group were, you know, didn't really grow up in the country or anything like that. So I was like, well, I, can, I mean, yeah, I can build stuff. They're like, well, we need a big cross. We need a big cross for this drama that we were going to do. We had a little cart, and we had a generator on it and a speaker and all this stuff, and, and we would tow this cart, and um, we, would have, we had uh, this guy that always played Jesus in anything that we did, and he was a little, little scrawny guy. And um, they, they said, we need, a, we need a cross to carry so that we can, wherever we want to do this drama, we can just stop and we can do this drama and everything. So I built the cross the way they wanted me to build it. And it was too heavy for the guy to carry it. And so they made me carry the cross. So here I am, fat Jesus, walking around New Orleans, you know, unbiblical. You know, Jesus couldn't have been looking like me. But um, they couldn't tell. I was, I was covered in blood. But one thing I noticed about that is there was no room in my hands to carry anything else. There's no room in my hands to carry anything but the cross. Now I was thinking about that as I was looking at that as how he said, deny yourself and pick up your cross. Well, I've got to put everything else down. That's not his will. I've got to lay it down. And again, I'm, I'm not gonna judge you. I'm not going to decide for you what is the will of God for you because the things that I have to do is particular to what I feel like God's leading and guiding me. But just make sure that you're not justifying what you're doing but you've been commissioned by God to do what you're doing. Can I say that again? Make sure that in your life, you're not justifying the direction that you're going and that you've been commissioned by God to go there. So I don't know if it's all that serious in my life. It's that serious. So where do you start? I think you start where we started, talking about hope. The first thing you have to do is I believe that you, if it's not already, you need to get your hope in the right things. Don't find your hope in the world. Find your hope in the word of God. Romans 15, 4 says this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. I love this. I haven't really ever um, read this scripture a lot, but I came across it this week. It says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning 
that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So if you want to know where to start and you say, man, I, I think it doesn't matter if, you're, if your hope's in the right place or, or if, you're, if you know that you're in the will of God, I still think that, that we've got to continually stay in the word of God. Why? Because if we continually stay in the word of God, right here Paul is saying that if we'll learn from those things that were written before, uh, it's going to produce comfort and that we're going to have hope and understanding and knowing. I, I started noticing this because I'm human like you. And I have droughts in my life where I study more than I don't. And, and this is what I noticed. This is, this is something that, 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 that's become a revelation to me that is one of those simple revelations that just clicked for me one day. And the thing that clicked for me one day is that, that I can always tell when I'm not staying in the word of God enough. And the way I can tell is by the conversations that I have with people. If I've been staying in the word of God, then the conversations I have, it's not saying that you can't talk about other things, about natural things, but I'm saying that, that, that if the word of God doesn't at some point try to come out of you, it might be because it's not in you. That it's not fresh in you. Does that make sense? If the only thing that comes out of you is complaining and I don't know what we're gonna do, this world is coming to, a, yeah, it's coming to, finish that statement, and end. It doesn't take a genius to know that. It just takes somebody who can read the Bible. They could do away with half the people in, the, in NASA or whoever's trying to figure out if and when the earth is going to come to an end and how it's going to come to an end. They could just read the Bible and know it's coming to an end. How are we going to save the earth? You're not. You can save yourself by getting into Jesus and getting out of here. So, we can start with hope. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence of Behind the veil. Hebrews 6, 19. So, what does this have to do, what does all this have to do with the season of the rapture? Well, if your hope has been in the wrong places, you can almost bet that your focus and your direction is off, at the very least. And I just want to say this, one of these one last statements we are way too close to the coming of the Lord for us to be found not doing the will of God. We're way too close. Let's go back to our main scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I'm gonna read that again because I wanna leave you with that. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring, him, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. We know how it's gonna end. We know what it's gonna be like for the Christian. And really, even if, and I've said this before, even if every one of us live out the rest of our days before Jesus comes back, none of us have many more days left. Really, in the grand scheme of things. And I'm not saying that to bring, to, to give you a, a sense of, of, of despair. But if we would live like we didn't have very many, very many more days left. I guarantee you, the frivolous things of life would be no issue for us. 
and we would focus on the important things of life. Amen? And we would catch ourselves wasting time and go, I don't have time to waste. I think that we should do some big things, both individually and as a church. We should do the big things for the kingdom of God before we get out of here. You know, most of the time, most football teams, most coaches would coach you that if you're in the fourth quarter, last two minutes, and you know you're going to win, that you act a little bit classy and you don't run the score up. But there ain't nothing classy about what we're doing down here. I'm running the score up. I don't want to leave any meat on the bone for the devil. We're in the last quarter. We're in the last two minutes. And I want as many points on the board as possible. Amen? I want my life and I want this church to score as many points as possible. I know we're going to win. The Bible tells us we're going to win. But I don't want to just barely win. I don't want to just squeak it out by one point by a field goal. I want to run it up. I want to embarrass them. There were some embarrassments this past week in college football. I want to embarrass them. There's some teams that got embarrassed. I want to embarrass them. I want to embarrass the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. Amen. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.